Why give? I, sh- I started off, and I'm just going to give a very, very brief review, but I started off last Sunday's message about five different ships that need to be sailing well in order for a church to function well and to be successful. Uh, there's leadership, there's worship, fellowship, discipleship, and then finally, stewardship. And stewardship was the, the vessel, if you will, that we landed on in talking about that. And so, uh, number one on your handout, I'm just going to briefly go through those. We should give ourselves. What should we give? Those are the two questions that I want to answer in, and ask and answer in this message. Uh, one is, uh, two of them is, uh, what should we give? And three is, why? Why should we give? Why give? And so, the first thing was, uh, we should give ourselves to God. Amen? Give yourself to the Lord. Uh, you might think, well, a message about stewardship is just about money. It's not just about money. It's about every area of your life. God gives you all these areas of life, and then he expects you and I to be good managers of those areas of our life and to produce well in all the things that we do and not just in the area of material gain or worldly goods or possessions. And so the first thing that God wants from us is ourselves. He wants us to give ourselves to him. Number two, what was number two? What am I to give? Well, I'm, I'm to give myself Every part of me, 100%. And we talked about that last week as well. Not just a portion, but every bit of yourself. He wants you 100. Can you say amen? 99% for God is not enough. I don't want just 99% of my bride, Diane. I want 100% of her. I'm not willing to share the other 1% with any other man on the planet. Can you say amen? And I can guarantee you she ain't willing to share 1% of this hunk of hunk of burning love either. Not sure where that came from, but it came from somewhere. (laughs) I should move on. The third point on there was we should give our substance, our possessions, everything that we have, it should be under God's control. He wants to control it. That's really where the children of Israel had messed it up in Malachi was they began to say, we want to control a portion of our lives, and God, we're not giving you full control. He's not Lord of some, he's Lord of all. And he wants you to give all of yourself to him. Number four on your handout, what I possess is merely that which God allows me to possess, and I owe it to the one who has entrusted it to me to manage it in such a way as to please him. You know, whether they're the possessions that you may have, whether they are Uh, tools or toys, whatever they may be. God wants to be honored and glorified in all that you have. Can you say amen? A number of years ago, I did a message uh, up at New Life Christian Church. I think it was entitled, What's Mine is His and What's His is Mine kind of thing. And and I just brought in some of my stuff. I'm not sure if I pulled my motorcycle, may have pulled my motorcycle into the sanctuary, but I had just a bunch of stuff that were all uh, I was on the table, and it was things that I love, and I had fishing gear and uh, uh, woodworking gear and all kinds of other things that were out there, and they were all basically material possessions that I had, and, and the point of the message was I could, I could take all this stuff right here and just consider what it means to me, or I could take all this stuff right here and say, God has supplied me with all this. How can I use it 
for his glory, whether it be for my pleasure or whether it be to, to minister to or to reach somebody else. Can you say amen? And we need to look at all of our stuff. Everybody say stuff. Stuff like that. Everything. Well, I, I earned the money to go buy that uh, quad or boat or whatever it may be. Wonderful. Praise God. Hallelujah. God gave you the energy, the strength, the breath to go earn that money. Come on, somebody. It's by His grace that we have what we have. And so we can't just hoard our stuff in a little pile and say, look what I have. Everybody get their hands off of my stash kind of thing. We have to recognize that what we have, God has allowed us to have and give him control of it. He's going to let you be blessed and have pleasure with the things that he's given you, but he wants to be honored in all that you have, everything, no matter what it may be. And then number five was the last <coughs> one of the uh, points on the handout that uh, I went over in last week's message. It was a commitment of stewardship recognizes that God is the creator, the giver, and the owner of your life and your resources. Well, God doesn't own my Corvette. Well, then that Corvette is taking a percentage of you away from God. Amen? Well, God doesn't own my Harley Davidson. What are you doing, Pastor Rick? I'm just speaking into existence those things that be not as though they already are. <laughs> Amen. And if, and if they were to ever come, may I be man enough to say because of what God does, because of his great glory, and how can I now use this to be a minister unto the Lord? Back when I had my motorcycle, I realized that I, that, that bike could just either be for my pleasure and my riding, and I made a decision early on. I was going to use this motorcycle for the glory of God in everything that I did. And I did, and God blessed me and blessed me and blessed me. And so make sure that you recognize he's the creator, he's the giver, he's the owner of all of your life and, and every one of your resources. That's when you have good stewardship starting is when you do that. So what is that? That's a predetermined choice to honor God even before another day comes, before another salary is earned, before any possessions are acquired is to honor God. And to put him first and foremost in your life. You want more blessings in your life? Honor God with more of your life. Amen. You, can, you will never be able to outgive God because he is the great giver of all givers. A commitment to stewardship really also determines the style and standard of living a person may have. Because you could have a style and standard of living that, that takes you away from the things of God. That happens to a lot of people. Well, I can't, I can't be in the house of God on Sunday because i got to go skiing and have somebody pull me behind my powerboat. Or uh, I can't uh, be in the house of God on Sunday because i got, you know, I got this golf membership and these brand new golf clubs and i got to go play golf on that day. Or the list can go on and you might be saying, well, I can witness to somebody uh, on the golf course on Sunday. Yes, yes, I understand that. And so this isn't about golf. All you golfers out there, please don't give me the evil eye today. It could be a number of things. I can't be at church today because I'm at a sporting activity, or I can't be at church today because I just, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. It's, this is one of the problems with Resurrection Life Church, 
is that this will be the hardest place for you to ever take a nap. You won't be able to sleep here. Half of you are scared that the ushers actually do have water guns to squirt you if you doze off. Uh, I got a friend who was telling me that he was in church and they have actually stopped the service because he was snoring so loud. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking they, they, that pastor needs to get a water cannon, you know. Right on. Stewardship commitment determines how we view our material goods, whatever they may be, whether we view them as symbols of security, I feel better about life because I have that, or this is something that, that I, I'm going to grasp and hold on to because then it's going to help me, or is everything that you have so you can minister to someone else? What if God came to you and said, give up all that you have and give it to the poor? Would you walk away like the rich young ruler in disappointment who had so much wealth, but he, he said, well, I've kept every commandment. You're going to ask me of that one thing? And the Lord was basically saying, yeah, the 1% of your life that you're keeping, I want it too. But it isn't just about that. It's about how do you view it? Is it your possessions or is it God's possessions? Because if you view it that way, you'll use it for his glory in some way. Now, there's a lot of different dimensions to this commitment of stewardship, and, and we have to have it in our lives in a very sustainable and tangible way, and that's, that's why, quite frankly, regular giving into a church is so important, and it is very important to one's life. And let me explain that. Number six, now we're going we're to talk about money a little bit. Is that all right? Yes. Can I have a better amen? amen. Giving money is an outward expression of an inside or an inward commitment. When you give at church, you're, you're making an outward expression of something that's on the inside, right here, in the heart. Let's turn together, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to spend just a few minutes uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll start with verse 1, and when you arrive at your destination, just holler out, I love the word. Okay, here we go. Chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Everybody say, grace of God. Grace. This is an important factor in this particular passage of Scripture, the grace, a specific grace of God. Make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, well, there's two things that don't go together, <laughs> a great trial of affliction and abundance of joy all in the same cup, are you kidding me? They need a picture of the modern day church, is it? Let me go again. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. And look here, not only did they have a great trial of affliction, and their deep poverty. So this was a people that had a great trial of affliction, and along with it, deep poverty. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that place in your life, where you are in a, 
terrible afflicted trial, testing, fire, time, and not only on top of that, had just were making it from macaroni box to macaroni box if you had that. I can say that by experience, Diane, and I remember the days that the macaroni and cheese box was an important asset in the house. My young brother came to live with us for a while, and we were down to the last two boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese. We came home one day. He, after work, he had gotten home from school, and he opened both boxes of macaroni and cheese. He only cooked one box of macaroni, because, but he wanted the other cheese pack. That was a great affliction and deep poverty. That was all, it really, it was, we had days where that was all that we had. And it was a serious loss to lose the other pack of cheese, chemical cheese, whatever was in that pack. Yeah, we, we've seen those days. So, so here you have, here's this church. Everybody say, grace of God. So they were in great trial. Say great trial. They were in deep poverty. Say deep poverty. And yet they uh, had an abundance of joy and abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, obviously those riches right there can, cannot be about quantity because they were in deep poverty. This is an important thing. You might look at this scripture, and, and, and as we look at the rest of it, think they put some kind of offering together for Paul and his work. Now, it was some kind of offering to God because they got noted in the Holy Scripture, but because of they were in deep poverty, I, I somehow wonder if they had a whole lot of money in that at all. Can somebody go ahead and turn the fans off for me, please? Thank you. So I bear witness that according to their ability... So there it is. See, they didn't have ability for great masses of money. They didn't have ability for a, a blow the pastor's brain Sunday offering. They were in deep poverty. Are you hearing that? And yet they got noted in Scripture that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. This, this next part just blows my mind. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. Why does that blow my mind? Because I've just never had anybody uh, beg me to take an offering. It just, that just blows my mind. Imploring us, do, do this. Please, take an offering. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Who was it had that on their phone app? I, I can't hear it. You better get that back. You got a microphone still, don't you? No. <laughs> and not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. See, that's where it all starts. You're, you're, you're offering the amount of money that you may bring to the house of God doesn't add up to a whole lot without all your heart, without all of yourself. They gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete the grace in you. Remember the grace? that he would complete the grace in you as well. They're talking about a specific grace. 
Remember in the very beginning, we make known to you the grace of God that was bestowed on that church. And now down here, that he would complete the same grace in you. Look here, in faith and in speech, in knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace. That's pretty powerful if you think about it. So this church had a specific grace on itself. The opposite side of that is they were in great affliction, deep poverty, and yet they, were, they abounded with, with love, they abounded with joy. They, they gave not only everything they had, but even more than they had, which because they were in deep poverty, I have to imagine that in the grand scheme of things, probably wasn't a whole lot as compared to maybe the wealthy church. Then again, probably the wealthy church didn't give a whole lot. I don't know. My point being, as I read this, I thought, it wasn't about the fact that they just took up the most outstanding. This was the biggest offering of the entire year. We just can't believe it. I got a feeling that it, it, in, in the grand scheme of things as it related to other churches, it might not have been as much as another church, but because of their situation, because of the fact that they gave themselves first, because of the grace that was upon them, they got noted in Scripture as doing something astounding that even was an example for the rest of us to say to God, help me grow in that grace. And this is a grace we should all grow in. And so Paul cites a congregation that apparently had all its ships sailing correctly. Uh, in telling the Macedonian believers, Paul deals with a question, and he deals with the question of why should I give? And he identifies three reasons in this text why a believer should give of their time, why a believer should give of their talent, and yes, why a believer should be willing to give of their treasure to God's work. And the primary uh, conduit of God's work is through his church. See, a lot of people get really uncomfortable when the minister begins to speak about monetary giving as it relates to receiving the tithes and the offering within the church. For a lot of people, even the word tithe sets in them a little bit of a negative connotation. Number seven, I want to give to you, this is seven on your paper, but it's the first of the three reasons that I believe that Paul shows us, is that we should give because it's a personal expression of our devotion to the Lord. Are you devoted completely and wholly and solely to God, or are you devoted to Him only up to a certain point of cost to yourself? Because what if it costs you everything? In fact, it should cost you everything. Verse 5 in that scripture we just read, it says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. First thing they did is said, God, everything that I am, everything that I have, it's yours. Whatever you ask of me, it's yours. I give you all of me. That's the first thing. And we note that the Macedonians had first given themselves to God, and then in the follow-up of that, they gave in support to Paul's missionary work and the things that he was doing. And in effect, their financial support that was given to the Apostle Paul was, if you will, a personal expression 
of their devotion to their God, not their devotion to the Apostle Paul. It was an expression of saying, God, I'm devoted completely to you. I'm sold out completely to you. And it's got to be pointed out, as I said a moment ago, that their generosity wasn't found, probably wasn't found so much in the amount as much as the attitude in which they gave. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's one of the most important things. I don't ever think that God is, as, is concerned at all really about the amount, but he certainly is concerned about the attitude with which you give. Because you can give a million dollars and not have the right heart and the right attitude, and God will bless the person who gave the one penny with the right heart and the right attitude with more grace. It's about the attitude. It's about the attitude. And then we see this great thing, you know, this personal expression of their devotion to God. In, in the fourth verse there, it says, they, and this is from the NIV, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Again, <laughs> I've been pastoring a lot of years, y'all. I've stood behind the pulpit, I can't even tell you the hundreds of times, uh, and I can't remember a time ever that the church begged me for another opportunity to give. I can't, Brother Chuck. Pastor, please, please take up another offering. Pastor, I beg you, please, would you take up another offering? Okay, now I know I'm being a little overdramatic there, but I mean, I've never seen it happen. In fact, a lot of preachers are in them in the unfortunate position of feeling very uncomfortable to talk about the offering. And, and in some cases, <clears throat> even some of my ministry friends have shared with me that they're very uncomfortable preaching on the tithe. And <clears throat> they're even very uncomfortable in terms of doing a, a strong offertory message before receiving the offering. And here, this group of people were saying, in, in the NIV, they begged me again and again. So yeah, that's cray-cray. <clears throat> the Macedonians, because of their <clears throat> excuse me, devotion to God, they counted it an extreme privilege to give, to bless somebody else. When they were in deep poverty themselves, they were in the position to want an offering from somebody else. And they weren't in just in deep poverty. They were in great affliction. Blows my mind. It really does. And yet they found it a tremendous joy to have an opportunity to give in this particular offering. In fact, the apostle said that they implored me. The NIV says they begged me again and again. Take up an offering. We want to bless. We want to give. We don't have hardly anything, and we are under severe persecution. But please, let us send a blessing to the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the main city. I got a feeling things might have been fairly good over there in Jerusalem compared to Macedonia. So in the same way, you and I should give our support to God's work as a sign of our devotion to him. Can you say amen? Here's a poem I found. 
When I look up at the cross, where God's great steward suffered loss, yes, loss of life and blood for me, a trifling thing it seems to be to bring the tithe, dear Lord, to thee, of time or talent, wealth or store, full well I know I owe thee more, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine." Demands my soul, my life, my all. A million times I owe thee more, but that is just the reason why I lift my heart to God on high and pledge thee by this small portion, my life, my love, my all in all. Wow. Do you love God? Then if you do, give to God's work through his church as a personal expression of your devotion to him. First and foremost. The second thing that Paul shows us, and it's number eight on your handout, is that we should give because it's a personal expression of our faith in the Lord. Not just our devotion to him, but our faith and our trust in him. Verses two through three in that passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians, that in much testing of trouble, the overflowing of their joy and the depth of their poverty abounded to the riches of their generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave willingly. Beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. Because they honored God with their generosity, these Macedonian people experienced a powerful outpouring of God's presence. This is something you need to understand. You need to let me help you this morning if I can. When you begin to give beyond your ability, you put yourself in a position to experience God's power on a whole nother level. Why? Because to give beyond your ability comes from a fountain of faith. And God honors faith. He doesn't honor the amount. And he does honor the attitude, but more than anything, your attitude comes from the fountain of faith. Beyond their ability. <clears throat> more than they had. I would, I would go on to argue that it's possible that they suffered loss material-wise and financial-wise in the gift that they gave. It was beyond their ability. They recognized that to give to God was to, do, to be obedient to his call. And that's number nine. When we let God work through us by being obedient to his call, we will experience the overwhelming nature of his power. Even in the tithe, we recognize that when we bring the tithe and the offerings unto the Lord, he says he would open up the windows of heaven over you, so much so that you wouldn't even have room to store what he pours out in your life. I mean, God blesses those who, with, with, with extra abundance and, and extra supernatural manifestations of his power when they are obedient to him with all of their heart. That's what he honors is the obedience not the sacrifice, but the obedience. <clears throat> so the Macedonians, they allowed God to work through them. They didn't have the means to do so, but somehow they ponied up and managed to get everybody to give a little something until it was above and beyond the, the, the normal and it was above and beyond their ability and they 
gave it to the Apostle Paul to take over to the Jerusalem believers, and because of it, they experienced the power of God. And that power enabled them to go far beyond what they even imagined they could go. I bet in the long run of it, they were even astounded. Oh my gosh, we, we were able to get this much together? Oh, heavens, praise God. They even honored God with that. And even though they were in poverty, they weren't just in poverty, deep poverty. <laughs> they took a step of faith and they stepped out on that, uh, on that chasm, if you will, and said, I don't know if there's going to be anything under my feet right here, but I'm going to step out in faith. And God honored their faith by filling their lives with, what did they have? Overflowing joy. Remember that? And they, there was an expanded effectiveness of their giving. Deep poverty, great affliction, but they abounded in joy. <laughs> Those just don't go together. There's a supernatural event. And you know what, friends? It takes faith to be a great giver. It takes faith. And if we'll be faithful to obey God's call, you can guarantee this and you can take it to the bank, no pun intended, he will be faithful to keep his promises to you. You must be faithful to obey his call. And, what he's, and he'll be faithful to give to you even what he's spoken to us in respect to giving. For example, Luke 6.38 from the New International Version. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Come on, somebody. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But look at the same passage of Scripture in the Message Bible. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Oh, yeah. Because giving, not getting, is the way. But it takes faith, Brother Chuck, to be a great giver. It doesn't take faith to be a small giver. But you need to know with the measure you give is the measure you receive. It's always amazing to me that people want to give little but receive much, and that doesn't work. Let me share this story. I'm going to need to read parts of it. I want to get it right. Uh, a pastor by the name of M.C. Williams from Denver, Colorado, he was preaching at a, a conference in Oklahoma, and he was preaching a message from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, where it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You all remember that particular passage? It said, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all that he had so he could go buy that field. He went and bought that field because of the great treasure that was in that field. And Reverend Williams went on in the sermon about how we need to be more like that man in the parable when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our trust in the fact that since the church is the focal point of God's work in this world and that it's, that it's worth whatever is necessary to support the work of the church because guess what? There's treasure in that field. There's treasure in the field of God's church. And we might need to have that kind of attitude. And that was so much treasure he went and sold everything he had to go buy that field. Why? Because of the treasure that was there. But let me ask you, do you believe God like that? And if you do, then give to God's work through his church as a 
personal expression of your devotion to him, but also as, a, as a, an expression of your faith in him. And here's the final one, number 10, uh, on your papers. We should give because it's a personal expression of our growth in him. Our devotion in him, our faith in him, and finally our growth in him. Verse 7 in that same passage, even as you abound in everything, in faith and in word and in knowledge and in all your earnestness and in all your love to us, you should abound or grow in this grace also. I don't know, we ought to, we ought to start having a prayer personally, the personal prayer says, Lord, let me abound in the grace of generosity. Let me abound and grow in the grace of giving to others. We need to grow in the grace of giving. And in light of the Macedonian example, Paul encouraged the Corinthians to develop their spiritual maturity by growing in the grace of giving. And what does it mean to be mature? It just, it, a good definition is that one takes responsibility of their own actions. You know, when your kids were growing up, and especially as they were coming through the young teen years, all you wanted was them to show a little bit of maturity, and the sign to you was that they were going to take some responsibility for their actions, right? Well, we need to be growing up as well, and we need to be obedient to the Lord. We need to accept responsibility for obedience or for our lack thereof. Not just blame things and, well, it's, you know, my life's just a pity party and nothing good's happening to me because so-and-so did or this happened or that happened. How about some responsibility for your own actions? Too many Christians have not necessarily matured in the area of giving. And they demonstrate that fact because they blame their lack of obedience. It was the kid's fault. You know, I had to buy some more stuff for the kids. I needed to get the sports gear for the kids so I can't bring the tithe this week or the car payment caught up with me or my wife went and bought some big time groceries this week so I can't give to God or maybe the size of their paycheck or maybe just the, un how can God be so unreasonable as to expect that of me? Well, the time has come to grow up, right on? We need to grow up in the grace of giving. Right, Dale? We just need to say, Father, I want to grow up in that grace. And if you haven't, then say, I want to. Father, help me grow up there. And if you're not a giver and you don't have that grace, and I understand because I used to not have that grace, but now God has just put it on my heart to be a giver. Amen? No, I mean, I got, I'll just tell a personal story, and I'm running out of time, but I'm going to tell a personal story. Uh, one of my friends here in the city uh, his pastor, and his guitar broke. And uh, he called me up and wanted to know if he could borrow one of my guitars. And I'm, honestly, I got too many guitars. And the first thought was not to send him away with my prize guitar, my number one guitar. I was going to send him away, Brother Chuck, with my second prized guitar. And immediately God spoke to my heart says, I gave you that guitar. Is it yours or mine? I said, it's mine. So when I met my brother, I said to him, you're such a good friend. You don't deserve my second best. You deserve my very best. Here's my breed love. And then I followed it up. When did I get it back? <laughs> and he tested me and he says, well, I don't know. 
his broke. You know what? I, that's just a point. I, that wasn't the first, that was not my first reaction to give my best. See, I'm still growing in this grace. Are you following me? We all need to say, God, let me grow in this grace. And I was so happy to, you know, send him away with that guitar and that blessing. We all need to kind of grow up in that, that area. And it's time to accept responsibility. And the bottom line is, are we seeking to honor God with our finances? Are we seeking to honor him by giving support to the work of the field, this treasured field? Uh, and if we're not, it's because we're not willing to make whatever lifestyle changes are necessary to do so. And I'm not talking about not paying your bills or, or, or not taking care of your living expenses. I'm, I'm, on the contrary, I'm saying give some thought and some prayerfulness about how you manage your finances and how you manage your expenses. Ask God to help you in that management. And, and, and then you're going to find yourself in a position to give to the support of the church and the support of the work of the ministry when it comes your way. I don't ever want to be found in a position to not be able to give. Huh? And I pray that I'm never found in a position with a whole load of money. I've not been ever found in a position with a whole load of money yet. But I pray that I've never been found that I'll never be found in a position with a whole load of money. And the Lord says, "Give," but I want to hold part of it back for myself. We all need to grow in this grace. Amen. Uh, let me remind you of a story, or let me tell you a story, please, that, uh, uh, about a farmer. And, and this farmer, uh, he, uh, and I know I'm about ready to run out of time, but I'll let it run to red numbers this morning for a minute, for a minute anyway. Um, uh, he, he, would, he had in his field this gigantic rock, and he kept busting uh, farm equipment over this rock. And uh, every year he had an intention that he was going to fix that. And he went through several plows. He went through a cultivator. And he knew that he needed to do something to remove this gigantic rock. And he, one year he, he, he broke another plow. And he said, that's it. I'm going to get this rock out of here. And he put a pry bar under that rock to try to move it. And he, when he did, he discovered that it was only six inches thick. It was huge, but it was only six inches thick. He thought it was deep and like a big boulder. So he got a sledgehammer out, and he began to beat that rock into little pieces. And the story goes on to say that as he was toting off the little pieces, he had to smile, remembered how many times he bypassed that rock all those years and how easy it would have been to have gotten rid of it just a little bit sooner. Isn't it something? Sometimes we see things as such a big obstacle. And they're not that big of an obstacle when you determine that you're going to obey the Lord. And you're going to do everything that you can to bless the work of the church. Number 11, and I believe this is the last one on your paper, it's time to grow up in the grace of giving. So as I close this morning, why should I give? I need, excuse me, what should I give? I need to give myself to the Lord first. That's got to be the first thing, Bob. Give all of myself to the Lord. And then what do I need to do? I need to give God control of everything that I have. Lord, it's yours. That nice guitar, it's yours, Lord. 
May I honor you with it instead of keeping it safe and secure. I'll send him out with the one that's already got a bunch of scratches and dings in it. I had some growing pains yesterday, y'all. Okay. And why should I give? I should give as an expression of my devotion to God. I should give as an expression of my faith in the Lord. And I should give as an expression of my growth in the Lord. I want to grow up. And for most of us, it's just about having a systematic plan of giving freely and giving generously and giving regularly to the Lord's work. Don't be like one of those old-time tippers. I was an old-time tipper until I met my wife. I was the guy that if I got a cup of coffee, you got a quarter. If I bought a steak, you got a dollar. I figured a dollar was a good tip. Oh, hush. Oh, my wife was a restaurant manager, so she changed that real quick. And uh, don't be like that, though. There's some people that, you know, they, they, they're rolling in the dough, but 20 bucks, I'm going to put my 20 bucks in the basket. That's it. It's all God gets is 20 bucks a week. When that person probably can afford so much more, and yet there's the other person who can hardly afford anything, and for them the 20 bucks was nearly everything they had. You tell me which one God's going to honor the most. So we got to grow up in that. And I just encourage you to commit to the discipline of tithing. Commit to the discipline of giving as the Lord directs you. Do it as an expression of your love for him. Do it as an expression of your devotion in him. Do it as an expression of your faith in him. And do it as an expression of your growth in him. And if you can believe it and receive it this morning, would you give the Lord a mighty praise in the house of God? And no, I'm not going to receive an offering. Oh, shucks. I was hoping for a whole bunch of those right there. Oh, pastor, please. Oh, praise God. I wanted this to be about touching your heart with the Word of God. And not a plea. this isn't a plea for money. This is about obedience and growth and devotion and faith. It takes great faith to be a great giver. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your Word today to bring this to you. And help us now as we grow in faith, as we, this grace, that's what I ask for now, God. Give us this grace that even when we are in deep trouble and deep affliction and deep poverty, we can abound with joy and abound with generosity. Oh, let us have that grace on our lives, Lord God, to be faithful givers and, and, to be, and to have you look at us as givers of faith and obedience. We thank you for that in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. And give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Come on, Steve.